Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. In the studio here tonight, you've got me, Ian. And Reed Coverdale. Reed, returning after a few weeks off, also joining us remotely. It's Joa. Man, something I saw today that was a real bummer to see has to do with the latest with the library case. Have you guys been following what's been going on with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and library? I have been so out of it the last two weeks, so... (laughs) What about you, uh, Joe? Yeah, I actually went to the federal court uh, during one of the uh, hearings for it, uh, and I did some courtroom sketches as well. And Nice. Uh, so I have been there, and I'm wondering uh, what's going to go on with it, but go ahead. Well, I just saw today on the library account on uh, Twitter that they linked over to somebody talking about a recent court filing in which it appears that the SEC, for those that don't know, Library is a uh, blockchain-based protocol that is uh, all about storing and sharing media online. So people might or might not be familiar with torrents, which is a way of sort of a decentralized way of sending files online or receiving files online. And torrents have been around for a couple of decades now, basically. They're never going to go away, but the federal government has been targeting torrent websites for a very, very long time. And one of the problems with torrents is that you usually have to have some sort of a central repository to figure out where the torrents are located, how you can get a hold of these things. Because they're all just sort of out there on the Internet, and unless somebody collects them, the torrent files... For sharing purposes, you really don't know what's available. So that's why why sites like the Pirate Bay uh, and others exist. But they've been constantly being targeted by the federal government and governments of the, the world and being taken down. And it's just this constant cat and mouse uh, game where the, the sites pop up for a while and then they're they're targeted and that sort of thing. And that's not to say library was created to facilitate piracy. I don't think that it was. It was just created as a way to catalog torrents because not all torrents are illegal. Torrents can be used com- completely for legal distribution purposes it's just they usually the only time they get talked about is in reference to pirating things like music and movies and such so what library does is it basically brings the technology of torrents where each computer that has a certain file let's say a video file like uh like joe you've got your own channel up uh on odyssey and and library called breaking the flaw uh and uh, and also read you have your own uh, channel naturalist capitalist Right, so people who are hosting or watching the videos that you guys create are, if they're doing it through the library system, are essentially downloading the full video from anybody else that has copies of it, and then they become what's called a seed for that video. So they actually help to sort of propagate that video online for as long as people are online with those files. Right, So in theory, it could go on forever. They also created a, what they called the library credits which are a way to sort of uh, pay for access to the system because it does cost something to interact with a blockchain. It's a very, very small amount. It's usually like, you know, one hundredth or less of a library credit. And I think the last time I looked, a library credit was worth like a cent or a cent and a half. So we're talking about a fraction of a fraction of a penny. Unfortunately, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, decided a few years ago that they were going to target library, along with other cryptocurrency developer corporations and companies like Ripple and and others, uh, that they were going to target them with a lawsuit that basically said, we think you're an unregistered security and we want you to pay up big time because you broke our laws. Well, we think you're a tyrannical government. Yes, Unfortunately, that that same government runs the court systems in which this uh, lawsuit was filed. And after spending God knows how many, you know, hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions, I think I heard Jeremy Kaufman say the word millions at some point, on lawyers to try to defend this case. I believe it was November when the judge, uh, the federal judge in this case, made the decision on the side of the SEC. So the SEC won the case. But what does that actually mean? What, what does it mean to say, well, the SEC won? Well, that means that the SEC's position that the library credits are so-called securities is vindicated by the court. Now, of course, there's always a possibility for appeals. And that, that hasn't been exhausted yet. Uh, but for now, that is the position of the, the federal courts is that library is a quote-unquote or library credits are quote-unquote securities. And therefore, library, the corporation, 
this isn't a criminal case. It's civil. So Jeremy Kaufman and other people at library are not, thankfully, they're not facing criminal charges. But the corporation is facing basically being completely dissolved and terminated. And everybody that had a job with library is going to be out of a job. And from what I understand, they have eight employees. Uh, well, the library. SEC, in my eyes, is uh, ripe to be completely dissolved my- itself. So, yeah, that'd be great. Because this is disgusting what they're doing to everyone. It's terrible what they're doing to everybody. But here's the next step. Okay, so now that the SEC has quote-unquote won this lawsuit, well, now they have to figure out what the penalties are going to be. What's the, what's the deal going to be? What's the SEC going to get out of this? Reed, how long have you been, been on the, the Odyssey platform at this point? Oh, at least a year, year and a half. Like what turns you on? I mean, like, what got what got you interested in them? Because well, you were on YouTube. Uh, yeah, I had a YouTube channel, and it was before I ever got censored, but uh, a lot of my friends were using it, and mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of people who have been banned off of YouTube, so I figured, well, I could be there eventually, so I wanted to have a, I wanted to have a backup, so um, that's why I went with Odyssey. I'm on Rumble now, too, but I went with Odyssey. I think they're the best, so. They're the best, and they're also run by people that we like, you know, not... Yeah. not just because we might know them personally or whatever. And actually, I don't know Julian, who's the CEO over at Odyssey, but it, it did come off from Library. We know these guys are liberty-minded people over there. And uh, and unfortunately, because it's related tangentially to Library, as we were discussing a moment ago, the SEC is now targeting Odyssey in the settlement negotiations with Library. So they're like, two separate companies now right they used to be one and they had some sort of split last year or something it was summertime last year i think according to the paperwork here that i was reading today it might have been june of 2021 Mm -hmm. so it was after the sec brought their lawsuit that came in march of 2021 shortly after the federal government raided this studio by coincidence uh they're targeting as many people from the cryptocurrency world as they possibly can is, is what's really going on here but uh, what happened was Library and Odyssey – Odyssey was was created sort of by Library as its platform. So just to clarify the difference, a protocol is a set of code that anyone can interact with. So whenever you see HTTP in front of a website address, that stands for like Hypertext Transfer Markup Protocol or something like that. It's got a long uh, terminology, but it's a protocol. Anyone can do HTTP or HTTPS. Uh, anyone can do library. Anyone can run one of the uh, the library blockchain servers, basically. Anybody can edit the code. The code is completely open. It's a protocol. And so platforms utilize protocols. So Odyssey is a website. Odyssey is a set of code that uses at its base layer the library code. But Odyssey's more than that. Odyssey, one of the reasons why they uh, they split off from library and became their own separate corporation was because odyssey needed more than just blockchain in order to really serve its customers mm-hmm. and the reason for that is because as i mentioned before when you have a video that's on library if there's only a handful of people that are hosting the video it may not be available quickly so odyssey is a platform that utilizes library at some level they they still sort of, it's still there so like if there's a problem with this content delivery network it'll back up to the library network so they're still connected to the library network they're still part of that but it's not quote-unquote library well the sec doesn't see it that way they say oh well you came from library and you still know each other so basically we're going to take everything that you have too is essentially what the uh the sec has said in a filing i mean i'm i'm summarizing a 15 page legal document or whatever but I've looked through the SEC's filing today, and I've looked through the uh, the Odyssey response today. And basically, Odyssey's argument back is, look, Odyssey is a separate entity from Library. It doesn't even share any employees. There's a different set of employees that Odyssey is there are at Library. Their corporate offices are located in different locations. But the one thing they're not going to be able to to get away from is the fact that it did come from Library. Odyssey was born underneath the auspices of Library. They do admit in the in the filing that it is a uh, sort of a subsidiary, basically. Even though it's separate, it's still kind of connected. And so, this is, is there gonna... any other spinoffs to uh, Library like Odyssey? Not that I'm aware of. But I, there could be. 
I mean, there could be. I suspect if there were, the SEC would be targeting those as well. And essentially, the uh, the library, or rather Odyssey, in their filing here, or library's filing, but they they've got a sort of a, a related filing from the CEO of Odyssey, basically says, "Look, we we're insolvent." Regarding like people who have channels, what is this going to do for them? Are they going to lose it, or what should be the concern? Well, I mean, obviously, I cannot speak for Odyssey, right? Like, I'm I'm not a stockholder. I I don't own a piece of the company or anything like that. I'm just a, I'm a fan. I I appreciate the work that they do, and I've I've been paying attention to this situation as it's been developing, and having read these court filings or at least some of them today, uh, it, it's hard to be optimistic, right? Like essentially, Odyssey saying, "Hey, look, we're not part of them anymore," and Library saying they're not part of us. It's a separate corporation. But the SEC says, yeah, but you're still kind of connected and you were once upon a time the same thing. So therefore, we should have the right to take you down, too. Even though there's really not much value in Odyssey, they said they have like $7,000 in their bank account. And that they are pulling in $40,000 per month in subscriptions. So something you can do with Odyssey is you can buy like a an ad-free version of the platform uh, and then... And I don't know what else you can do. I think you can subscribe directly to channels as well on a monthly basis, like with with dollars. Uh, but you can also pay Odyssey for sort of an upgraded experience. And I believe they're pulling in about forty grand a month off of whatever various different revenue sources they have. But again, this company has, I think, fifteen employees. So that forty grand is going right back out the door in the form of paying those employees. And they've got literally seven thousand dollars in the bank right now. So I would say to, to answer your question, Joe, the thing that you could probably do is buy a subscription, right? Buy the the ad free package. If you're an Odyssey viewer and you appreciate the work that they do, if you buy the ad free package, it gives a, a few more bucks in their pocket at the end of the day. Uh, the term that the the CEO used to describe Odyssey, his name is Julian, was insolvent, and that's the kind of terminology that does not bode well right like that's not something you want to hear a company that you you appreciate saying about themselves and and it could just be insolvent in the in the case that they have a 1.6 million dollar loan from library which is of course at this point never going to be payable they can't pay it back if library disappears tomorrow and maybe they never intended to pay it back in the in the first place anyway i don't know but if library is gone in early 2023 well, I presume that means they don't owe the loan back anymore. But as of right now, that loan's still on the books, and they certainly don't have enough revenue to, to cover it. So maybe that's what he means when he says insolvent. But either way, they got seven grand in the bank. That's not saying a whole lot for you know a, a bright future. It sounds to me like they're barely squeaking by. And if Odyssey gets taken down, then I, I don't think that that's going to be a good thing for any of the content that, that, that's there. And right now, a lot of the content that uh, that Free Keen has created was exclusively uploaded to Odyssey because I, what I decided to do uh, a couple years ago now, I think I actually made the decision right before we got raided. It was like literally the week or so before uh, our studios were raided in 2021, I made the decision, all right, I'm tired of uploading things to YouTube and giving them first dibs on the content. So I, I switched how I was doing things, I would only upload like a few minute long teaser to YouTube because we still had, you know, 20,000 subscribers there on the Free Keen channel. But I was, you know, I don't like YouTube. I don't appreciate what they've been doing to people. So I would upload the full video to Odyssey and the teaser video to YouTube. And then in the uh, description of YouTube, I'd have the link to the full video on Odyssey. So it's really going to suck <laughs> if all of those videos uh, yeah. from Odyssey go away because the SEC is greedy and evil. I actually have a little no. story I can insert here. I Please. lost my YouTube channel like two weeks ago. Naturalist Capitalist? For a couple hours. Oh, <laughs> so really? I woke up, it was a couple of weeks ago, I forget what day, and my YouTube channel was just gone. And Was there any notice in your e- inbox? Well, so, yeah, so I went to my inbox and I had no strikes on my YouTube channel. So just for people who don't understand how this is supposed to work, right. You're supposed to be allowed to amass three strikes within a certain period of time, and strikes expire after a certain amount of time. So you could amass 14 strikes as yep. long as they're. You That's know, how we're all, doing it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't have any, and it was just gone. Mm-hmm. So I went into my email, and I found a message from YouTube wow. that said, "We have deleted your YouTube channel for repeated serious <laughs> violations of the terms of service." So I wrote them back. It was like, "What the heck, guys?" 
what, what first of all, what serious violations did you find? They didn't they tell me say. like what video yeah. or anything. And so yeah. finally they wrote me back like a couple hours later like, oh, whoops, sorry, we made a mistake. We accidentally deleted your channel. We'll put it back How up. How does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> it seems like they're trying to remove all alternatives uh, to the into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you try to test the waters, you, you might fail, but you're going to learn something from it too. And I hope uh, Odyssey comes back up um, if they get taken down and um, maybe they can adjust to the SEC rules. Um, and, you know, this is a defining moment uh, for the world in all kinds of ways. Cause you know, Odyssey is a global thing. It's not just the United States it just mm-hmm. might be located here. So they're affecting everyone in the world and they do this. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, bless uh, Odyssey and library and, you know, Jeremy Kaufman and his efforts in making this world a better place with this platform. I agree. And I, I don't mean to be doom and gloom or anything like that. It's just it's hard to be optimistic in the face of the SEC, which has already won this case. And now they're turning their their targets uh, towards Odyssey to try to shake them down at the end of all this for a few thousand more dollars, uh, basically. And I don't know if that necessarily means that it would be the like even if the SEC is victorious and they're able to clean out Odyssey's bank account, uh, I don't know what that would mean for the future of Odyssey. Maybe Odyssey could be sold. You know, maybe they could say, "All right, well, well, we're bankrupt. We're we're up for sale. Uh, we'll sell to pennies on the dollar to the to the highest bidder or something like that." And then maybe as long as the new owner isn't Jeremy Kaufman or Julian, the the current guys that are behind Library and. And Odyssey, maybe they'll the new owner will be allowed to just like take on all the assets, whatever servers. It's just servers, right? Uh, take on all the servers right. and the contracts that they have for for service providing, and and keep that thing going. Because the good news is, library the technology. So there's the library, the corporation. That's what's going down. The corporation, the for profit company, library.com or whatever. That's going down. And by the way, it's spelled L B R Y. That's going to be gone. But the technology, the the actual like protocol that we discussed earlier, the SEC cannot stop that. That is decentralized. That exists in thousands of locations on the internet simultaneously. It's like them trying to take down Bitcoin. They can't take down Bitcoin. It cannot be done. So library will continue. Uh, there will be somebody out there. It'll be a, like an open source development or something like that of the software that will likely continue. Who's Elon here? Musk. <clears throat> well, that's the thing. You don't want to rely on Elon Musk to save. No, I you know, here, but right, because I mean, he won't. Well, right, and <laughs> he might. Well, but the thing is, he's he's such a kind of enigma. This guy, like, on one hand, he says things that sound pretty libertarian, like calling the state a monopoly on violence. He actually you know, appropriately labeled what the state was in a conversation he had, I don't know, like a year ago. Joey, you had mentioned something about you know, getting out from underneath the, the federal government in the United States as a potential solution. Uh, and of course, a lot of us here at Free Talk Live are big fans of the idea of independence, uh, declaring independence from the feds. You want to use the term secession. Some people would use that term as well. But it's important to remember that uh, those of us on this show support peaceful independence, not firing on federal forts or anything like Correct. that, going at, going at it from a peaceful standpoint this time. And you have a story about a little bit of independence going on up in Canada and I believe, Alberta province, right? What's going on up there? That's right. Uh, and this is coming out of uh, the New American, uh, dot com. Uh, Alberta passes law rejecting federal sovereignty, and uh, the majority of people in Canada or in in the Canadian province of Alberta have had enough of the liberal federal government. And this is kind of biased, by the way. Let me, let me just what's put that the out source there. on this? A new American? Yeah, they're okay. kind of conservative. Yeah, it's a conservative thing, but well, that's fine. It's good. We know what the bias and, is, so go on. Uh, the liberal federal government in Ottawa, uh, the country's capital, uh, they are tired of the overreaching hand of the federal government on issues from COVID restrictions to gun control. Well, yeah, I, I remember to, sorry to interrupt there, but I, I do remember um, back it was, what was it, early 2021 when the protests were going on in Canada, in Ottawa, with you know people coming from across Canada. There were a lot of people that came out from Alberta, and uh, they were a, a bit of a different sort. You know, they... 
are a much more independent-minded group of They're the people. New Hampshire of Canada. Kind of, except they're a You're lot right. bigger. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge place. Well, not a lot more people, just right. <laughs> way yeah. bigger uh, land space. And right. it's like touching New Hampshire, right? No, no, no. No, no. no. West. Oh, okay. It's like North Dakota or something like that. Ah, uh, I see. Mm-hmm. And then and this uh, this whole COVID restriction gun control is spearheaded by uh, uh, your favorite, Justin Trudeau. Right. Uh, yeah, we had talked about <laughs> some of the gun restrictions that they'd passed up there, and they're really severe. I, I suspect your story is going to get into that. Yeah, uh, seeking to take a stand against federal legislation and policies that are unconstitutional, the uh, provincial government of Alberta introduced, passed, and instituted Alberta sovereignty within uh, a United Canada Act this month. Hmm. Um, the the provincial government overview stated the act will be used to address federal legislation and policies that are unconstitutional, violate Albert Albertians. Uh, charter rights or that affect or interfere with our provincial constitutional rights. The act gives Alberta a democratic legislative framework for defending the federal provincial division of powers while respecting Canada's constitution and the courts. She continues with, uh, they are one of those uh, signatories to the constitution and the rest of us as signatories to the constitution Hmm. have a right uh, to exercise our sovereign powers in our own areas of jurisdiction. That's a powerful statement. in my opinion. You know, it's really just shoving it in their face and be like, Hey, we're just not going to follow along with this. That's what New Hampshire needs. New Hampshire needs to have a, uh, an executive, you know, if we're going to have a governor, they need to talk like that. This this yeah. current governor, he's just you know he is he's looking for power. He wants to be the president. He wants to curry a favor with the federal government. He doesn't. He's not going to stand in their way like this lady uh, in uh, in Alberta is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be really interesting. This next paragraph: a new law is in is in line with the conservative effort in Western Canadian provinces to secede from Canada, which has what? made it difficult for Ottawa to govern the Western regions of the nation. The Wexit movement, W-E-X-I-T, what? Wexit movement is advocating for the democratic separation of the Western provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, Manitoba, and the Brit- in British Columbia. How come this is independent- the first time I'm hearing about Wexit? Let's go to Dave Ridley. He's a big fan of independence. Ridley, had you heard of this Wexit thing up in Canada? No, uh, but I did call in a, a couple of months ago about the New Brunswick uh, effort to imitate the Free State Project. They're trying to have a free province project in, in Canada. Right, yeah, I've heard about them. Now, New Brunswick, that's over on the, the far eastern side of Canada, correct? Correct. It's actually fairly close to New Hampshire. Right, and it's pretty small, isn't it, like as far as provinces go? Right. They use the same methodology, more or less, that the Free State Project did. And thinking, if we're going to move somewhere and have an impact, it's going to need to be a place with low population. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, I think that's all good. The more independence movements that we can have out there, uh, the better. So, yeah, uh, what were you calling about tonight, Ridley? <clears throat> well, first, I was I was going to say, God bless you for your for being so upbeat and continuing to soldier on despite all that's been done to you with that federal uh, show trial. <clears throat> Yeah, that's a bummer. That, that that wouldn't that wouldn't let that wouldn't let us show anything. Mm-hmm. They <laughs> never do. You know, we're, you're banned for or you're you're banned from recording in there. Uh, that's right. But uh, no, I was calling about something else, and that is uh, just a, a minor uh, uh, piece of NH exit news. And but it's positive, and that is uh, that uh, we have a we have a new and relatively important supporter in New Hampshire, um, and that is uh, mm-hmm. the guy who runs the the, the talk show in. Um, uh, in Manchester, uh, Matt Connerton, uh, oh. Connerton Unleashed, uh, he has a daily talk show and he has, uh, he has uh, become, he's, he's told me, or he told, told me on the air, uh, that he now supports New Hampshire independence. Really? His, the thing that changed, the thing that changed his mind, uh, he said, and again, I'm just telling you what he said. Yeah. He said it was the, um, <clears throat> the Democrats. Uh, the Democrats, uh, elimination of the New Hampshire, were like m- messing with the New Hampshire primary. Really? Yeah. Why would that? I mean, I'm just curious. He's not a Democrat. Like he's a liberty-minded guy, from what I understand. Knowing a little, knowing him a little bit over the years, why would that set him off? Uh, he's he's a left-leaning. I guess it'd be considered a left-leaning liberty person or a libertarian-leaning left oh. person or something like that. 
But um, <clears throat> no, you'd have to. I don't want to put words in his yeah, mouth. Sure. I don't remember the exact details. But of course, if you get, if you take away the New Hampshire primary, uh, that's going to have negative imp- implications. And it's just yet another example of a thing that you can use to push independence forward, or a thing, a thing that, <clears throat> a, a way you can use independence to deter uh, messing with New Hampshire, right? Because uh, if every new abuse committed against New Hampshire results in more supporters for New Hampshire independence, then that's a really strong, you know, <clears throat> motivation to stop messing with New Hampshireites. David then called in from Georgia, a newer listener to the show, and you had some questions about the idea of independence right here in the United States, David. And you were asking the question of, like, how could we possibly believe, given the history, that the federal government would not use violence against a uh, state today who would declare independence, whether it be California or Texas or New Hampshire. And uh, are you still with us, David? Yes, sir. All right. So so I gave you a couple of examples. One, information moves quickly. And I think the reason that matters is because to some extent, to some extent, I mean, they are tyrants. There's no doubt. But I don't think the federal government is going to want to be seen destroying its own supporters. And what I mean by that is if or when, rather, a state, and we don't know which one's going to go first, but someone's going to go, I think, uh, when a state decides to secede, decides to declare independence, like, for instance, here in New Hampshire, it would require a 67% vote of the the voters in New Hampshire to uh, essentially amend the New Hampshire Constitution. And so that would mean you'd, you'd still have, you know, 33% of the people, if it was an even, or if it was a real close vote, 67 to, you know, 23 uh, Sorry, 23? No, uh, 33 uh, percent there. You'd still have three-tenths of the people here who are loyalists, who support the the federal government. It certainly wouldn't make any sense to just start dropping bombs on those people or whatever. Um, are they going to roll in tanks and roll in troops? I mean, it's, it's not a good look, you know, and there's going to be a lot of video that would be streaming out. But secondly... The poll that was done this summer by the Foundation for New Hampshire Independence found that an average of only 6% of the respondents across the southern states in New Hampshire and in Hawaii, the the eight states that were surveyed, only about 6% of respondents said that they would support the federal government using violence, using the military against any state that seceded, whether it be California or or Hawaii or Texas or whatever. So there's not a lot of support there for it either. And the idea let that me, go ahead. Let me re, let me remind yeah. uh, the federal government government is that the highest concentration of firearms is on the southern New Hampshire border. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> New Hampshire's sure got a lot of guns. There's no doubt about that. It's just not going to be a good look for them to uh, to you know invade. I mean, what do you what do you think, Reed? Do you think that uh, that it's likely? Do you think the federal government would uh, would roll in tanks into New Hampshire or Texas or? California? I don't know. I mean, I. I wonder about this a lot because I think it is a lot more nuanced nowadays than it was 150 years ago. Sure. Um, well, I, one one thing's for sure: they're not spread. They're, uh, the the troops in 150 years ago weren't spread out across the entire world. So, I mean, do they even right. have anybody they can roll in? Sorry, what yeah. were you going to say? And I think I'm I'm not a Civil War expert by any means, but I think actually before the Confederates even fired on Fort Sumter, I think the Union did move a lot of troops into southern oh, parts okay. of the country. So. Um, I'm not sure about the exact numbers or locations there, but yeah, I mean, I think the biggest hindrance to secession is actually losing our federal funds, right? I mean, we're going to lose FEMA. Jessica, you wanted to comment on free markets and government regulations, which of course are the, the contrary forces to free markets. There's, there are no free markets on the planet. Uh, there are some industries that are less regulated than others, so, for instance, like the computer industry, there's not a lot of regulations on that. And that's why you see tremendous developments over time and you see costs coming down over time. Like the the, uh, the phones that we uh, many of us carry in our pockets are far more uh, powerful than the, the most powerful computers were 15 years ago. So, uh, so we see that happening in certain markets, but then other markets like healthcare, where there's a ton of regulations, the development is very slow, the prices tend to go up. Uh, but Jessica, what else did you want to share? Well, it seems like, um, you know, back in the day, maybe a couple hundred years ago or, or so, when there were just many fiefdoms of 
go little tyrants and little towns all over the place. You know, it was, you know, it was sporadic at best, but now we've got the federal government controlling the state governments, and that's not how it was supposed to be, and that's not how it's written in the Constitution. And it seems like the more federalized everything gets, the less freedom the people have, Mm -hmm. and they just keep tightening the noose around the collective neck of the population. It almost, you know, bears out that, you know, we almost have to, you know, get rid of the federal government and become our own countries again. Otherwise, there's not, um, you know, it's just going to get worse and worse, and people are going to get less and less free, and the markets are not going to be allowed to survive. It's almost like they just want it collective and communistic in nature. I like your train of thought. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, it's surprising, you know, surprising how many people out there aren't there yet, you know, despite the, the tyranny of the federal governments and even the state governments, how far they've managed to push things like COVID restrictions and all this other nonsense, all the regulations, the taxes well, that all well, added up. People still just want to keep okay, trying to like, win the federal government back. And it's like, what's the point? You're well, never going to like, turn it around. Um, for, for like older people, they, you know, they can't just get together and play bingo and gamble among themselves. They got to go to the senior center where the senior centers are all run by the government. You'll never catch me dead in a place like that. <laughs> all the seniors are all into that. It's like, well, why do you have to go to the government? to, you know, get together and play bingo. What's the big deal? It's like, and it's like that with everything now. It's just amazing how much BS people will tolerate and and go all in for. I'm sorry. I like a lot of the Mises Caucus stuff, too. I appreciate their messaging. That's why I rejoined the Libertarian Party, because their messaging has become more uh, more pure, like it once was when... 20-something years ago when I joined it originally, and I, I appreciate that messaging. Mm-hmm. But I know by now that the most hardcore principled messaging ain't going to do diddly to, you know, no. get the libertarians elected either. No. I mean, I wish that were – I wish something else were that, true. Go ahead, Joe. Well, that's why we need those edgelord posters like Jeremy Kaufman because, you know, we're it, it's, you know, it's like the kid giving a tantrum. Sorry, Jeremy. It's kind of like that. Um, where you have to be outlandish to get the attention and he's doing a great job at it. Um, and, and, you know, maybe he won't be so satirical and that's just because it's the only method and strategy we have right now to get the attention. And once people look into it, dive further, they start to understand, Oh, okay. Now I know why his post was so, uh, raunchy and, uh, let's, um, let's, you know, this is really aligning to who I am. And, you know, hopefully people come around to that and they're not just turning the TV off when they hear these things. Well, not TV. He's not on the TV. But <laughs> well, to me, you're referring to Jeremy Kaufman, who was the libertarian candidate for Senate here or U.S. Senate here in New Hampshire. And I think all three of us were behind his uh, his campaign read, probably more so than anybody. You were out putting up campaign signs everywhere, spent God knows how many hours on that. Uh, I mean, I, I got arrested for him. I mean, arrested while supporting true. him. <laughs> Joe wins. That's true. Uh, and that, that case is still developing. We'll have updates for you as the as the year rolls on on that, that particular front. Uh, I did donate. I was uh, his first donor, when, at least at the Libertarian Party convention. I, I was one of the, the first there to step up and donate to the campaign because I knew that it would be a principled campaign. I knew that it was uh, going to be a, a campaign with the right messaging, with a, with a principled uh, set of messages that was also also going to be an entertaining uh, set of messages, and that's why I got behind it. Not because I thought he had a chance at winning. Mm-hmm. I don't think any libertarian candidates have a chance to win because the system isn't designed to allow for third parties to have a chance. But if we can get principled messaging out there, then I think that's worth doing, especially in New Hampshire, when we can set New Hampshire aside as this sort of shining libertarian beacon with the most principled messaging, with the most hardcore messaging, because we want to attract those people. I do, at least. I want to attract there, those people here. Yeah, you There know. is a little hope, too. Uh, sorry. Uh, there's a little hope because we have the, a new committee called the, the Voter Integrity Committee. And maybe this will allow, you know, like third parties to be able to get on the ballot more. Uh, who knows? We need to influence this committee. Uh, into these ideas is this like at the state level or something i've not heard anything yeah yeah it's uh they've been they were like one of the first committees to start like uh activity at the state house 
uh, at the new in the in the new session. Uh, Premier Smith is reportedly this is Danielle Smith. I don't. I guess Premier is like what a governor, basically, uh, or something like that. Premier Smith is reportedly not a member of any secessionist movement, but has opposed all pandemic measures, including vaccines and masks. Wow. Masks. Her government has suggested that Alberta's law could be used to reject federal authority and laws in several areas, including public health, the environment, and firearms, hmm. uh, which is really egregious in Canada. Yeah, it is. Uh, and a lot of Canadians love their guns. It's just, you know. Well, they're dealing with this federal government that has, uh, if I recall correctly, it was this year that they passed something in Canada that said essentially that you could no longer transfer guns. You you could not buy them anymore. You could not sell them. You could not give them away. Like you had a, there was like a grace period where you could, uh, you could do those things. And that period I think has ended now. I don't know if there are exceptions. I don't know if there's like a carve out for like a varmint rifle or something like that. But basically a lot of the guns in Canada are now forbidden. Uh, critics say the law is a constitutional overreach by the province and warn that it is unlikely to survive a court challenge. Mm. They also say the legislation may cause investors to shy away from Alberta and could jeopardize indigenous people's rights and treaty obligations. That's kind of ironic. I, I, I don't and the indigenous people probably love this, like, yeah. you know, further getting away from this centralized governing body. I mean, yeah, uh, seems like a no brainer, right? Uh, we will not stand idly by. We will not allow it to happen. The National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Roseanne Archibald, I guess they say it, said in the Guardian article, um, the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations, uh, Treaty 6 and Treaty 7 chiefs say the Sovereignty Act infringes on their treaty rights well uh, yeah maybe it's a, you know it's going to contradict a lot of laws so right? basically they found some high ranking hard go- you know pro government uh indian person By planted to on this planted in you know influence type people yeah. uh, so it sounds like that, yeah. they're getting welfare right like i mean it's the same thing happened in canada where like there's certain uh like here in the us there's the bureau of indian affairs and they mm-hmm. basically are, are you know, they hand out welfare to these Indian reservations and they right. they regulate them, right? So, like, that same it, stuff. It's not a popular opinion, but it seems what the government has done to just indigenous people, not just in the States, I guess Canada probably too, is that they get them stuck on welfare mm-hmm. and all they do is, you know, they do drugs or drink all day. Yep. And it's because they don't have a need to uh, to work or anything like that. Trudeau's climate change agenda, gun control, and its government's infringements of individual freedoms only serve to bolster the Sovereignty Act's support among Albertans who will no sure. longer tolerate Ottawa's out-of-touch policy and threats to their oil Speaking industry. Speaking of out-of-touch stuff, I don't know if you guys heard, but uh, they also just banned single-use plastics. So, like, you can't get a plastic spork anymore in Canada, or at least when this thing goes into effect next year or whenever it is. You just can't you can't get that stuff anymore. And so that's those are I mean, obviously, that's not as serious as gun prohibitions, but it's just one of those other issues. That's just an annoyance uh, for people out there. Or, or just reuse your plastic, <laughs> your forks. Yeah, they're not going to You're like, no, this is multi-use plastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the kind of crap so- that they're dealing with. Oh, I know it's it's just the, it's just uh, the signaling stuff. I mean, we've seen it here in the United States where, uh, you know, some of the more leftist places, San Francisco or California or wherever, will pass similar things like, oh, well, we're going to ban plastic straws. And then you still have paper straws, which, of course, are garbage that they just stop working mid, you know, mid usage. But yet they still come in like a plastic wrap. So it's all just so silly. It's just it's such like mm-hmm. signaling to show how concerned they are for the environment. And it's just a, a bunch of crap. Well, uh, Danielle Smith, they backing down. She says, I hope that we've sent a message to Ottawa that we will vigorously defend our constitutional areas of jurisdiction and they should just butt out. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, I love it. I mean, uh, I don't I don't normally say that about what politicians say very often, but that's the kind of attitude that I really have an appreciation for in a in a politician is somebody who's willing to literally tell a federal government to butt out. Right? So that's mm-hmm. a good step. That's a nice thing to say. And they're taking action at the same time. So kudos to them. Um, it just seems like there's a lot of other 
um, opinions here. So I think that's pretty much wrapping it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, me, let me just read this one last thing is that in the meantime, the new act is clearly a game changer for the Canadian federal government's rules of engagement and should be something to watch. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch this now. Um, and I'm excited for this Wexit. <laughs> it's uh it's good that we're seeing this. I, I knew that there was one going on in Ottawa, mm. but now we got something on the Western Wait, front. There's one in Ottawa. Ottawa. Are you thinking of Quebec? Uh, Quebec. Sorry, yeah. Quebec. Yeah. yeah, the Quebec yeah. independence movement goes back a long ways. Um, I know that the founder of the Free State Project, Jason Sorens, did some research into that, and that was you know twenty something years ago when he was doing that research. So they've never actually pulled it off. The the Ottawa uh, secessionists have never successfully done it. But they've always been noteworthy. Actually, maybe I should read this one part here. The, sure. uh, the, the Alberta Sovereignty Act loosely resembles the U.S., Kentucky, and Virginia resolutions in which Thomas Jefferson and Mad- James Madison sought to nullify the Federal Alien and Sedition Acts of 1798. Uh, according to com, they are advocating for the western provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and British Columbia, which on its own would be a huge country. I mean, this is these are large provinces, and there are four of them. So it would be a huge country uh, that would separate out as Western Canada or maybe some other name. And they want to leave Eastern Canada because of, well, the fact is there's most of the population in Eastern Canada. They control the uh, the parliament there. And like a lot of the places that want to secede, whether it be Eastern Oregon wanting to leave because of uh, Portland or uh, whether it be Northern California wanting to leave because of the, the hard leftist California cities, this is a pretty common thing that we're seeing these days is the people in the rural areas are sick of being ruled by the city folk and they got to do something about it and complaining about it is, you know, not going to change things. So I, I think most of the resources in Canada are in these Western regions that want to secede. There's right? certainly plenty oil, of oil lumber. Um, yeah. A lot of stuff. They've got some negotiating power mm-hmm. as a result of that. They don't have a lot of voting power, though, unfortunately. No. But Exer or Wexit here, according to the BBC article about them. Now, this is actually going back to 2019. I did not find a whole lot uh, recent about it, but I'm just going to jump ahead to where they actually talk about. Because the beginning parts of the uh, article are just sort of about general things regarding Canada and you know some of the... Uh, like percentage of parliament, for instance, Alberta only gets 10% of Canada's parliament. So that's that's not a lot. Uh, but uh, enter Wexit. The group is campaigning for the Western provinces to separate from Canada and form its own nations or its own nation. It's an old idea that has gained momentum as relations between Alberta and the rest of the country have deteriorated. Separatist candidates have run in Alberta in elections since the 1930s but have never won power, unlike separatist politicians in Quebec. In the 2019 provincial election, the Alberta Independence Party received only about 13,400 votes, or less than 1% of the popular vote. While those results may not signify an impending political reckoning, there are signs that it's growing, according to a recent Environics Institute survey. And this is where things get a little interesting. According to the survey in Alberta, 56% of respondents agreed with this statement, quote, Western Canada gets so few benefits from being part of Canada that they might as well go it on their own. Uh, Nice. 56%. Now, that's up 28 points from 2010. Now, this was in 2019 when they did this survey. It says that although the separatists can be from any end of the political spectrum in libertarian Alberta, that's how the BBC is describing it, they tend to be on the right. The party stems from the movement's revival in the 1980s when liberal Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, that's Justin Trudeau's father, uh, implemented the deeply, well, allegedly, (laughs) there are uh, interesting theories that suggest that Justin Trudeau's real father is actually Fidel Castro, but his alleged father, uh, predecessor, let's say, Pierre Trudeau, implemented the deeply unpopular National Energy Program, which centralized control of Albertan oil with the federal government. Now this antipathy has shifted towards his son, the current PM, Justin Trudeau, who, when this article was written, was up for re-election. So obviously he got re-elected because he's still there. So uh, the, the theory here was that 
if he were reelected, that that would push this movement forward, the Wexit movement, even further. So you've got Trudeau being reelected. You've got the COVID crackdowns and restrictions. Now you've got gun restrictions coming into play this year. I mean, just like here in the United States, the federal government is... I mean, I don't know if overplaying its hand is the right term because they're getting away with this stuff. But, uh, you know, we're going to get into a story here if we get the chance about this $1.7 trillion omnibus package here with another $45 billion for Ukraine. I mean, it's just it's got to be exhausting to these people. They've got to be ready to uh, to pull the plug at this point. So I wonder if this polling organization that we're called... What is it uh, here? Environics Institute survey. I wonder if this is like a regular thing where they're coming back year after year. Because that's what we need to do here in New Hampshire, by the way. We need to keep polling right. the people of New Hampshire. Keep getting the news out there. Keep getting, keep doing things with this, the state representatives, putting forward more nullification and more secession bills. And just keep that conversation going. Because the more, the reality is... This a lot of people cannot believe this is possible, right? Like they don't believe that secession is a possibility or independence is a possibility. But the more people that believe it's possible, the closer it becomes to becoming a reality. This is a major DMT. Is that a natural occurring drug like psilocybin? Yes, sir. It is. DMT is uh, present in many plants. Ah. Damn, I did not know that. In I'm fact, some people flat. say that the uh, the body's pineal gland actually generates DMT at the time of death and floods actually, your. You can extract uh, DMT from grass, is what I heard. I've heard that too. Yeah, I don't know if you well, want to, grass? but you could. Hmm? Who's grass? <laughs> Any like normal grass, but it's not the ideal way to do it. That there are some plants that are sort of known for. Uh, being able to extract DMT, but supposedly it exists and could could be done from grass. Yeah, that's confusing. Very. What very else you confusing. got, Major? Well, I'm thinking about. Uh, oh God, all the craziness you guys have been talking about tonight. There's uh, the, the the English the the uh, the, the what do they call themselves, the United Emmerich or whatever, they have been disarming their population for yes. 200 years. And every time they come into a crisis, they beg us for a blunderbuss or whatever we'll throw a hunk of lead. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just can't understand. I mean, New Hampshire, you guys, you, the, the what you're trying to accomplish is cataclysmic, and I hope it transpires. But, you're talking about uh, secession. You're talking about New Hampshire independence, NHX. I'm talking about all of us being free. So anyway, here's the good news for the day from MarijuanaMoment.net. And I had no idea this was going on. Certain psychedelics are now officially legal to possess and grow in Colorado under a new state law with the governor formally declaring the results of a ballot initiative that voters approved last month. Governor Jared Polis issued the proclamation Tuesday, along with seven others for separate ballot measures about a week earlier than he's required to do under the state constitution. While there are still several steps that must be taken to fully implement other aspects of the reform, which also involves creating quote-unquote healing centers for supervised psychedelic sessions, possession, cultivation, and sharing of certain substances by adults 21 and older is now legal under state law in Colorado. So it's not restricted to these these centers where they're supervised? No, as I understand it, additional. if you want to grow some mushrooms in your own home, it sounds to me like that's legal. Now, I'm sure there's a limit. You mm-hmm. probably can't go crazy and like fill your whole house with a mushroom grow operation, but if you're growing enough for uh, for personal use, sounds like it might be legal. Again, don't take legal advice from me, but I'll give you a little more here from the story. Uh, the proclamation provides a little bit of background on the vote and describes the initiative, which covers the following. Psilocybin, that's the active ingredient in psychedelic mushrooms. Ibogaine, mescaline, which is... According to this, is the mescaline that's not derived from peyote, so I'm not sure because that's always what I've heard mescaline is. I, I don't know enough about mescaline to be able to say what the mescaline would be derived from if not from peyote. So if you know more about that, feel free to weigh in. And then DMT and psilocin. 
So those are the things. These are sort of the the natural range of psychedelics that are not like manufactured, right? Like this, so LSD for instance is something that you kind of have to go through like a chemical process in order to uh to synthesize that. But here these are things that can be extracted from plants. And so that's how they got this thing to pass, which is amazing. So kudos to the people there in uh in Colorado. So I guess what they share here next is the actual text that people voted on. So here's what people voted on. Quote, Shall there be a change to the Colorado Revised Statutes concerning legal regulated access to a natural medicine for persons 21 years of age or older and, in connection therewith, defining natural medicine as certain plants or fungi that affect a person's mental health and are controlled substances under state law, establishing a natural medicine regulated access program for supervised care, and requiring the Department of Regulatory Agencies to implement the program and comprehensively regulate natural medicine to protect public health and safety, creating an advisory board to advise the department as to the implementation of the program, granting local government limited authority to regulate the time, place, and manner of providing natural medicine services, allowing limited personal possession, use, and uncompensated sharing of natural medicine. So that's where you would be able to give away mushrooms or DMT or whatever, but you wouldn't be able to legally charge for it. And they probably have it written to where, like, you probably aren't going to be able to get away by saying, oh, well, uh, I'm going to give you these mushrooms, but the baggie they're coming in is $35 for the Ziploc bag. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to be able to, to get away with that, but who knows? We'll see what kind of challenges and creative things people come up with. Oh, yeah. You just listened to the new extended Free Talk Live Daily Digest. We felt this format was more appropriate for our podcast audience and decided to make it our official podcast. If you subscribe to the Daily Digest or full episode RSS feeds, please resubscribe to the main FTL podcast feed, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. The other feeds rely on a third-party service, and though they'll have the same content, we can't be sure how long they'll stay online. If you still want the entire radio show, you can listen live every night from 7 to 10 Eastern at freetalklive.com. Full video archives are at video.freetalklive.com or tune into our 24-7 stream for the latest show at listen.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live's amps will continue to receive the full two-hour radio show with no recorded commercials via podcast through Patreon. So please join amps.freetalklive.com for just $5 a month. Thank you for listening to and sharing Free Talk Live. 